0: the following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to Z-Pod, an
1: Outreach Ministry of Identity Matters podcast. Z-Pod is focused on addressing the worldview issues relating to the millennial generation and their children, Generation Z. Our new podcast series reveals the importance of the indwelt believer knowing and understanding who they are in Christ. Thank you for joining us today and welcome to Z-Pod with Dr. Stephen Finney. Welcome to Z-Pod. We are so glad that you are joining us tonight. We've been in the middle of a series. In fact, it comes under the branch of our Ministry of Generational Ethics. And we're calling it the Gen Z Series. And this series is dedicated for the entire year of 2018. So those of you who are just joining our podcast, just Keep in mind that you can just keep tracking these messages once a week by simply logging on to our website at www.iomamerica, and you'll see all the drop downs necessary to log on to the Z podcast and hear all these messages. Also, I want to just kind of bring to your attention that on April 7, we're going to be doing an international Gen Z conference. It is going to be uh, filmed as well as being an audio podcast. And so it will be available for any live listeners on that day, starting at 1 p.m., going to 5.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. Now, for those of you who are busy or you can't come for whatever reason, we're going to do a delayed podcast which is going to be a couple days after the live conference where you can get every single one of those messages either via podcast or through a video version. So just keep that in mind and also the simple fact that all these messages that we're giving every Sunday night are going to be placed in a book. Now what's happening is we have a transcriber out in Las Vegas who transcribes all my audios and puts it in chapter form, sends it to me, and then our editors kind of take it from there. But on January 19, 2019, the publisher will release a book called Discipling a Post-Truth Church. So all of this information that we are covering throughout 2018 Is going to be put in a book. That book is going to hopefully be in partner with several other ministries that do worldview teachings and it will become a coursework. So the book will be used in two separate ways as just general reading and as a course book. So exciting things that are coming up. Our mission is pretty simple, pretty simple and straightforward. It's one of the most common questions that are asked of me online, and that is, what's your bottom line? It's pretty simple for us. Our bottom line is helping members of the body of Christ to experience, mature in, and communicate effectively the message of who the believer is in Christ. There are two kinds of believers. Listeners, listen very carefully. This is so significant in any teaching that we give. I'm going to show you three worldviews tonight. In the world of Christendom, there are two primary worldviews. One is outside of Christ, but you're a Christ follower. And that is basically following the external teachings of Jesus Christ. It means you're a church attender, maybe. It means that you believe in what the Bible teaches us. It means you believe in Christianity. It means you believe in the sovereignty of God, and the list goes on and on. But it does not necessarily mean that you're a born-again believer. So in Christendom, we have to look at the world. It's where we get the ideology of a worldview. You have to look at the world, understanding first your position. Are you a Christ follower, following the holy of Christ, or are you indwelt by him? And it's what the traditional church calls the born-again believer. Two worldviews. So when we talk about our identity, the believer's identity in Christ, we're talking about underlining the word in. The scriptures tell us that Christ is in us, and we are in him. Now, that is the summary of everything we teach. Every podcast we do, our radio broadcast show, Everything we do, every book we write, every author we publish, everything that is done within our ministry must be from this worldview. The believer's identity in Christ. Behavior comes from identity. If you are concerned about your behavior, we have to have a talk about your identity. Tonight's message, of course, is focused on Gen Z. And the topic title for tonight is feeling based ethics. If you just stop for a moment and think about the title, it kind of looks like those two would never, ever go together. Because ethics typically is used in the intellectual world as someone who actually takes the time and thinks through their philosophy, their moral beliefs, their ethical beliefs. Ethics is typically associated with thinkers. This is not true. We are living in a culture today that has already been proven by statistics. And at our Gen Z conference, we will be unfolding, unpacking for you as our listener, many of these statistics. You see, we live in a culture today where the average person does not believe their pastor or their preacher. In fact, the statistic is 14% of church attenders believe their pastor. Now that is a crazy number when it comes to the traditional church having an influence on society for almost 2,000 years. And all of a sudden, when the millennial generation hit us, it went down. The tube. We no longer live in a culture that the church is the primary influencer of that culture. Today, you cannot use the term adultery, it's considered hate crime. Today, you cannot use the term sin because it's considered radical. All of the the ethics that was in traditional churches for almost 2,000 years are now being labeled not only as false, but they have deluded themselves into being, were the radicals, and the generation today is not. The end result of all of this is we have in place, according to statistics, a feeling-based ethics. Allow me to show you this. Those of you who are listening online, please remember to open up that PDF right to the left of the audio. Have that up in a different window so that as you hear this little tone in our messages that we give, you can switch to the next slide on your PDF. So you can see the diagrams, read the statistics, and actually see what our local body is viewing as we teach. Here's our three objectives for tonight. The first one is we, we need to be able to take a healthy look at these three worldviews. If you are of the modality that everything you look at is from a singular, a single world view, then you're really misinformed about how ethics work. Ethics need a home. Ethics need a worldview. And whoever or whatever culture forms these ethics are the ones that have to be examined. And ethics are generational. They change every single generation. What was wrong in the 60s is not wrong today. What was considered conservative in the 1600s is not considered conservative today. Generational ethics change each generation. And that is why we're taking a year To look at this present generation. How they think. How they react. How they act. And how they respond. To everything. From mommies. Daddies. Educators. Authority in the community. You can ask our police officer here. The conflict. The challenges that he has in dealing with people he has to pull over and address violations and what their attitudes are against him as an authority figure. It's very different today what he would face than what we faced in the 50s. I can remember having sweaty palms when a police car would drive or pass by my vehicle, mostly because I had pot under the seat, but I remember those days of having that kind of fear about police officers. Now they're being shot, tormented, disrespected, dishonored, and put in a position of being the bad guy. And the good guys are the criminals. It is now legal in over 30 states for a criminal to sue you if they break into your house and break their leg. Do you understand what I just said? Times have changed, and we must look at the generational issues that cause these changes. We're going to also talk tonight about proclaiming absolute truth versus what? Relative Relative truth. Does someone want to just quickly give our listeners the difference between absolute truth and relative truth? Ian, would you do it since you've had a recent discussion with a relative thinker?
2: Well, absolute. Relative means it's uh, can change over uh, time, and absolute is there's no going around it. There's no gray.
1: Very good. Jesus made this statement. Of course, any statement that Jesus makes, I really hang on to. I mean, I hang on to whether Paul says it or Peter or any of them because it is the Spirit speaking through them. But when Jesus quotes something, I really take that deep and at heart. He said in Matthew 5 something very interesting. He said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. no. Anything above and beyond this is evil. Okay, now that is out of Jesus' mouth. Let your yes be yes. And if you look in the Greek, that yes means truth. Let your no be no. And that no means a rejection of truth. Anything above and beyond those two is evil. So I asked myself the question as a researcher, now where would Satan want to hang out? Any guesses? Right in the middle. Right in the middle. Not too hot, not too cold. It's what he again said in Revelation chapter 3 and 13. He said that the lukewarm church is offensive to him. And ultimately, he does what with this church of Laodicea? He spews them out of his mouth. I, as a researcher and as a preacher, firmly believe that our country is the primary educator's of the Church of Laodicea. And all my statistics don't come from America, they come from other countries. Particularly India does a lot of research on us because India is one of the biggest merchants in the world in making money off of Americans online. So you wonder why you, a lot of times... Call into a company to get something straight with your order and you end up talking to someone with what kind of an accent? Indian. That's why they research us. They want to find out what our z are about since they're close to 40% of our entire consumer market. You trying to tell me that the parents spent $600 billion on Gen Z? Last year? Well, that is statistics coming from them. They know our vulnerabilities. And honestly, I appreciate that about them. They just don't spout the things. They know their market. They know what they're going for and who they're going for. And then, of course, third point is feeling-based ethics. Keep this in mind, though. Power and deception are birthed through an established culture that uses its self-governed words or rhetoric to sell its assumptive conclusions to a naive individual or generation who has no formal worldview. Who are the humans That are most vulnerable for not having a worldview are children. In nineteen fifties, most young adults at the age of twenty-one years of age had a formal world view. Today, from Pew Research to Barnett Group. To the secular research companies that I'm constantly tagging and getting their taglines are all saying the exact same thing. There is not one surveyed young person in this generation that actually had a worldview. Because once you are formal operation in worldview, you're immovable. There's no statistics. Now, there are people that were surveyed, obviously, that had a formal worldview at 19 years of age, being in this Gen Z, but there's not enough of them to create statistics. To some of our listeners, which reflects some of the emails that I get, the conclusion for you is, what's the big deal? You have no idea of what's coming in 15 years for this generation who does not have a formal worldview yet. And here's the craziness that you're going to learn at the conference. They don't want one. Because worldview requires accountability of what comes out of your mouth. It requires you to be tested. Tested. And they don't want to be tested. They want the trophy without the work. And this is what we're facing today. I want you to listen very carefully to Sasha. Sasha's got something very interesting to show us.
0: This is Sasha. This is Sam. When they first met, it was just small talk about where to find the best coffee, the new high top she just bought, a book of poetry he found at a used bookstore, a new local band she discovered just last weekend, a zombie apocalypse movie he saw last night with some friends in his martial arts class, her homemade screen print t-shirt, and his favorite Chinese restaurant, which made them both hungry. So they got two orders of Mandarin chicken with brown rice, and then Sam opened his fortune cookie.
3: Life's journey ends. ...with a new beginning. Whoa, that's deep. But in the real world, life's journey ends with an ending. When you die, you're done.
4: Well, yes, your body no longer works. But your soul continues to exist, don't you think?
3: Your soul? No, I don't believe in ghosts. We're physical creatures, material objects. Just a collection of highly organized atoms. When your brain flatlines, that's it. Game over.
4: So you don't believe in life after death?
3: No. I mean, it's a comforting thought, but there's just no scientific evidence for it. I'd rather face the real world than believe in a fairy tale.
4: Yeah, I agree with you, Sam. It's best to face reality. But it may be that life after death is reality. I mean, think about it. If life just ends at death, then everything we do or say comes to nothing. What meaning or purpose can our lives possibly have?
3: Well, I guess my life has whatever meaning I choose to give it. I personally believe in truth, beauty, science, making the world a better place, saving the environment, freedom of speech, and, you know, tolerance.
4: Yes, that's all well and good. But what does all that matter if it ends in nothingness? What are your thoughts about God? Which God? There are millions of gods. The God that's in the
3: Bible. It's been proven that the Bible is just a bunch of mythology written by ancient desert nomads. But, you know, if faith in God makes you feel good, I won't argue with that. But I personally prefer more of a rational, open-minded approach to life. Here's what I believe, Sasha. You shouldn't think anything is true unless it's been scientifically proven.
4: But has that belief itself been scientifically proven? Um. Sam, you and I look at life very differently. Yeah, It's
3: crazy. It's like we're from different worlds. Not different worlds, different
0: worldviews. A worldview is the set of lenses through which you see the world around you. It's a web of habit-forming beliefs that helps you make sense of all your experiences. Through your worldview, you interpret life in a particular way. It affects how you think, how you feel, and how you live from day to day. To understand what your worldview is, think carefully about the big questions of life. Does God exist? How did everything begin? Who am I? Why am I here? Am I living a good life? What happens after I die? Cabbages and puppies don't think about this stuff. But people do. Reflecting on these questions is part of what makes us human. In fact, every one of us has a worldview. What's yours?
1: I'm not going to put anyone on the spot right now. Plus, if I put you guys on the spot and asked you what your worldview was, you've been trained enough to reply with a Born again, into all believer type of worldview. But our listeners, this may be a different issue. Many of our listeners are not of the third category of worldview. And that is Christ actually is either lying or he's telling you the truth in the Holy Scriptures where it is stated in multiple passages that Do you not know that you have the mind of Christ living within you? That is the defining symptom and characteristic of knowing whether you're truly saved or not. This is how Paul talked. This is how Peter talked. This is how Jesus talked. This is a critical question that you need to answer Because if you tell me what your worldview is at 602-292-2982, please text me right now and give me a one-liner in regard to what you believe your worldview is. And I will respond personally. Most people who call themselves Christians are going to respond with a religious worldview. worldview. Few are able to separate that out and to be in more of a finite worldview based on the mind of Christ. Where does worldview come from? Does it come from your elbow? Yeah. Your guts? It comes, from your brain. comes from your brain. It comes from your mind. For the scriptures to tell us that we have the mind of Christ. Is he brainless? Is he without a world view? Does he not think? Is it just a statement so I can think on my own about what he might be thinking? Those, to me, are godological questions that must be answered for our Gen Z today. I would like to have Jane read for us I want her to read for you an email that I got this week, and this is from our transcriber in Vegas, and she threw me off. I mean, she is pretty well trained because she does all of our transcribing, but she did not expect what happened to her, and then it did happen. And then she turned around and sent me this story.
2: Good morning, Dr. Finney. I loved reading these truths this morning, and I am going to spend some time here reading and praying. These, I believe, are some of the most important truths that I, as a believer, need and want to grab hold of. And within this teaching, it answers the question that though I feel I already had the answer to, I have struggled much with, but it's finally settled for me. You are so right in saying we ask for truth, but we don't really want it. And you know why I think that is? Because once we know the truth, we are required to obey it, and we just don't want to. I forwarded this message to one of my sales reps for my work because of a conversation we had at work a couple days ago. He came up to my desk to offer me half of his avocado. I was just getting ready to go to the break room to eat my lunch, so he decided to join me, which sales reps never do. While having launched the conversation, turned toward God when Chris mentioned something about 96 million people having it right about God so that if many have it that right, then he could believe it. Then he said, after all, all paths lead to the same God. I was quiet until that point when out of my mouth shot, that's a total lie. He sat silenced with a humble look on his face, very unusual for him. I shared what Christ said of himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Chris then said, The way and truth were open for interpretation. Another lie, I said, and the problem with our prolistic society. If every human can take an absolute truth spoken by God and turn it into many truths through one's own interpretation, then it is no longer the truth of God, but man's truth, a lie. I then shared what Jesus said about being born again, explaining what that meant. I asked him if he believed that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for the sins of the world and that he rose again, and he said yes. So I told him that he was right there, so close, and that if he believed, he just needed to confess it and invite the Lord into his heart and life, telling him that he would then receive the Holy Spirit, who would seal his salvation. I asked him if he had ever read the four Gospels, and he said no, but mentioned someone had suggested it before. He asked me to text him a reminder, so I did, suggesting the book of John, since this is where I took the scriptures from. He also thanked me and said he thought it was worth looking into. I mentioned to Chris that upon salvation, it was important to learn who he he now is in Christ and what means that Christ wants to live his life through his, and I told him a bit about you and Iowa, America. That, my dear brother, was a first for me, I am so very grateful to you for the powerful truth pack teachings you faithfully and tirelessly share. Even if it's to an audience of one, it's so very worth it. I wanted to share this with you not to boast because I know I had absolutely nothing to do but to encourage my brother, friend, and teacher.
1: So again, I ask Are you able to share your worldview? But see, that's not what impacted my life this week. By reading her email, the thing that impacted me the most is that she heard, she processed, and she took action. When God put the situation into her life, which he's committed to do every day and every week and every month and every year of your life, if he knows you're ready at all times, He will put people in front of you. This gentleman's relative thinking was a huge surprise to me, right? No, this is the generational ethics we are dealing with today. They're everywhere. If you think the multiple paths to one God is getting out of control today, then you're not really projecting in respects of what it's going to look like 15 years from now. If we're pluralistic in your average lunchroom today, what is it going to be like in 15 years? As you know, with my research, I always do a 15-year projection. You need to do that. If you get hung up on just the statistics and the knowledge or the Truth or the ethics or whatever in the present moment, you're going to be deceived. Because what I just said to you is already in the past. Are you with me? Now the future is what I just said is in the past. Now the future is what I just said is in the past. This is how the enemy works. He gets you caught up into The ideology that the present is so incredibly important. There is no present. Now we use those terms because it helps people understand. But see, what I have said to you is already in the past. It's now in the past again. It's now in the past again. As the clock ticks, it creates the past. Same thing works with ethics. You need to understand that. There's no such thing as a generation who is caught up in the moment, who's caught up in the present. Because before they get it out of their mouth, it's already in their past. I can think like that, and I need to think like that, or I'm going to be a bad researcher. So when someone comes out with a statistic like I'm going to show you right now, this is our world views. Number one, we have secular zeers, and these are zeers who make the claim to have pluralistic beliefs in their global worldview. Remembering that pluralism is diversity, and diversity is multiple religious, political, social. And environmental beliefs. In other words, whatever works for you, I'm fine with. But don't you put your beliefs on me? As our video showed us last week. The guy was fine with having discussions, but anytime he hear, heard absolute truth from our from our guy that was leading him in proper ethics, he became defensive. He became what they are hyper about is intolerant. Statistics have already proven that the relative thinkers are the most intolerant people in the world. They are completely intolerant of a traditional generational worldview. But in every other area, they are tolerant. And as our speaker last week said, how can you tolerate someone who already agrees with you? So if you are tolerant with another relative thinker, you're not tolerating anything because they think just like you. They are self-convicting that they are intolerant in this generation. 96% of Gen Z openly claim that they are not Christians, nor do they want to be, and consider the Christian worldview intolerant. 96% from three separate researchers One secular and two Christian. Second worldview is Christ following. These are seers who claim that following the principles of the church in Christ are important to their worldview. So you can walk up to a follower who, by the way, thinks that they are Christians, but they are not, because they have not had an experience like Sharon was. Clearly separating out. Using the proper terms, the traditional terms that are in the Bible. Born again is a statement that Jesus Christ made. Remember when the Pharisees said, Well, how can I go back into my mother's womb and be born again? Any absolute terminology that is used by Jesus Christ, the enemy is diluting it into Laodicean thinking, lukewarm, which is what Laodicea means. Satan knows more about how the strategic process of how you can be spit out of the mouth of Jesus Christ than you do. He knows how it's done. He knows how to create a rejective force coming literally from the God of the universe. Which, by the way, he himself has to view as an absolute God. Now that bends my mind. How the deception that is in the world today is so pluralistic when Satan himself is required by God to believe and an absolute God of the universe. And that's what he uses to create and formulate his deception, to use the human race to be spit out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. I just took you from Genesis to Revelation in five minutes. Now we have listeners right now listening saying, I have never heard this before. Well, good. Don't believe me. Open your traditional Bible. Don't open up a gender-friendly Bible. Don't open up one of these animal rights Bibles that are out. Don't go to the modern translations that have already been dumbed down for the dummies. You got to go to the core of the word of God that has been traditional and working in society since Jesus Christ. That's how you have to do it. It does help if you want to learn a little Greek and Hebrew, certainly. But this is a foreign idea to your average Christian today of clinging to traditional truly orthodoxy documents, Bibles, and clinging to what was originally said. That is called absolute truth.